I've lost the words. No, no, I'm not. Just uh, as we go into this time, we want to encourage you to think about what a hero is. What a hero is. Because Jesus is the greatest of all heroes. But He wants us to be heroes. Have a check out of this video before Rob comes and shares. You and I can't control where we are born. But what if things had been different for you? What if, instead of living in the richest nation on earth, you were born in one of the poorest, a place like this? A place that didn't have access to clean drinking water? A place where hopes and dreams died with drought? Where no matter how hard you worked, you couldn't grow enough food to keep your family from starving. What if you were born into a country where 17% of all children would die before they reach the age of five? A country where conditions were so poor that the average life expectancy was 41 years old. A place where the closest medical doctor was more than 60 miles away. A place without roads, electricity, running water, hospitals. What if the roles were reversed and you were born by a sheer accident of longitude and latitude to be born here? Wouldn't you be praying that someone across the globe would see your condition and do something to help? Wouldn't you be praying that someone who had the courage and resources to do something to help would? What if you are that person? What if you could be the one to bring clean drinking water to a thirsty land? What if you could build irrigation systems that would allow farmers to grow enough food so that no one has to starve? What if you could make land that was dry, fertile again, and give a sense of hope and purpose to a whole village? What if you could help build a medical outpost staffed with medical personnel to help feed malnourished children, help educate the community, and help prevent people from dying from diseases that are entirely treatable? What if you are that person that could single-handedly bring hope to a place that needs hope? And what if you answered that call? Wouldn't that make you a hero? Hi there everyone, great to be here this morning, good to see you. So this weekend, Global Action Weekend, we are here um, because we're partnering with others who are heroes. So uh, we want to think about heroes, we're partnering with them who are heroes, we uh, also do have some heroes in amongst us. So we have some heroes external to us that we're partnering with and we uh, also have some heroes, people that are involved in doing things beyond the church that, that are heroes. And we're all considering the call to each one of us as to how we might step up and uh, with courage and purpose for the benefit of others. Uh, like I said at the beginning, a hero, one's noted for feats of courage, nobility of purpose and who uh, sacrifices for the benefit of others. So we're considering that call on each one of us uh, this weekend. Each term we have a Global Action Weekend. Last, uh, last term we were um, focusing on the younger generation of Australia. And this term, so this weekend, we're focusing on vulnerable children throughout the world. And then throughout the, the rest of the year we'll be having a focus on, on China um, and the work with International China Concern there next term and uh, in India, we've got a partner in India who's doing uh, training um, church leaders to go out and plant new churches right across the country. Um, so Pastor Stephen and Davey, Daisy there. But uh, this week end is uh, we're looking at the vulnerable children of the world. And so far this weekend, uh, Dave Francis, on behalf of Compassion, Dave Francis... Uh, was uh, at Wildfire Youth. It was great for the Wildfire Youth to, youth to uh, host Dave 
as he is preparing for a bike ride across the country. We'll hear more about that. I won't say too much about that, but, but uh, that's great that the youth were able to mix and play their part and, and, and provide an offering that was really encouraging that there was an offering from the youth for the, um, that's going to the vulnerable children of the world through compassion. So, so thanks for that. That was the start of the weekend. Last night we had a uh, quiz and auction night. That, uh, who was here last night? So who thought it was a how how was it everybody? It was, it was fantastic. I I thought it was fantastic, and we're all contributing to the vulnerable children of the world, hearing about it, supporting it, encouraging uh, Dave in it, and uh, considering our place in it. So so that's great, and we'll hear more about that. Um, so I won't say too much about compassion, but because uh, we'll be hearing more about that. Tonight, we'll continue our Global Action Weekend. We've got, uh, as we gather together, straight after the By the Book, where we're uh, meeting together at 5 o'clock uh, with Richard McAllister speaking, and then after that, at 6 o'clock, we're meeting for an hour once again to support uh, those who are the heroes, support the external partners that we partner with, lifting them up for the before the Lord. We are... Uh, partnering with and supporting those who are within the church who are doing things outside of the church. So there are various uh, people and it's good. Please keep on letting us know what you're doing. There's Dave, there's, um, there's Taylor Kennedy going to China next month and, and uh, uh, so various people doing different things. Um, so Cora is going to be having uh, <laughs> uh, women living in her new home that, she, that the Lord's just uh, blessed her with. So, so that she can be a blessing to them. And so, so there's all sorts of things. And we want to know what things you're involved in so that we can be praying together. And then you, all of us gathering together to pray. And that, so that's on the third Sunday of each month, which is, happens to be tonight. So six o'clock gathering for an hour tonight. So I look forward to seeing you then. But right now, I'd like to introduce to you another couple uh, who are heroes. And if you noticed as you came in the church, if you looked behind you as you came through the doors, so there's a uh, display there with a flag. Uh, it's red, yellow and black with a crane in the middle. So do you know which country that is? Anybody? Uganda. Uganda, thank you. Rightio. So we are partners. We're the couple in Uganda. So many of you, if you've been around for a long time, many of you will uh, already be aware of Sam and Evia Katalia that we support in Uganda. Um, we've been supporting them for about 15 years, and uh, and they. So for those of you who who are newer to the church, that like Sam did come and visit us uh, a few years ago. So some of you might be newer to the church and didn't actually get to meet him. And what a privilege it was to meet him. And some of us have been over to Uganda to meet. And they, so they run a children's home where they're setting children up for life, children who are, uh, they might be orphans, they might be, uh, have parent, a parent that, that can't uh, provide for them. And they provide accommodation in a loving, nurturing environment. They provide education and uh, vocational training. Uh, so, so setting them up for life for, for, um, for what they can do once they're adults, once they're grown up, and they also run a church and a health centre on their on their property there. Um, they started off when we first started with them. They started with uh, main a lot, lot of primary school, well, primary school education, so that sort of age of children. And then as those kids have grown up, they've uh, met with challenges. Now they've got a wide range of age of children, and some of them didn't start school until late, so some of them are still trying to finish their school at 25 years old or up to 27 years old and some of them are doing uh, vocational training so some of them are still with them uh, in the children's home even at that age so they've got this wide disparity of age so they've got changing uh, challenges that that they're having to cope with as they've uh, as the <laughs> as the years have gone on um, so now they're having to it, we, we're going to be meeting uh, Sam and Eva on a video in a minute. So just to put you in the picture of what they're speaking about, they're, um, they're having to put the children, partly because of government regulations telling them what to do, but because of the practical challenges as well. They're having to look at building new housing so that the girls and the boys will be separate because as they've gone into teenage years and beyond, uh, they've been 
various challenges, as you can imagine, with that. Um, so they're having to separate the boys and the girls into separate accommodation, and uh, and they're also um, having to sep make separate younger and older um, accommodations for them. Already, earlier in the year, our church, through funds that were already in the Global Vision account, um, we gave five thousand dollars to uh, to them to build uh, the boys accommodation so that they were able to <laughs> to meet that challenge they've still got further to go on the project uh, so but that's probably enough said um, to be able to fill you in to to meet Sam and Eva on the video so let's meet them Dear friends, uh, it's very good to connect with you again, uh, and we want to thank you for being wonderful partners in the mission over here in Uganda at Bushfire, which includes uh, schools, as, uh, a nursery and a primary school, uh, a secondary school right now, and a vocational training program, of which uh, training program we are running uh, a few trade skills like carpentry, uh, tailoring, uh, hairdressing, and motor vehicle mechanics. We are seeing some of our children are moving on and doing business in those areas like in tailoring, and some are doing, uh, are running now um, a carpentry workshop and doing some money and earning some bit of income. And it's been, it's been wonderful because you've been with us all these years. So the children's home is also running very well. So at the moment, the school and the staff together on ground, we're about 500 people. And we want to thank you for the recent support um, of, um, of uh, 5,000 uh, Australian dollars, which was towards uh, completion of the, the two-room boys' hostel and also to do the bathroom. So we've done some improvement on the bathrooms and we've been doing a little bit of uh, parameters around some of the girls' wing. So the journey and the job is bigger now, but we really thank you for that great support. Yeah, as Sam has just mentioned, that uh, part of the money helped to work or to complete in especially plastering of the younger boys' hostel, those are the children that are under the children's home, where we are told that we cannot continue to keep them in the same house with the, with the, with the girls. So that has made uh, a demand on us as a requirement by the Minister of Gender that we separate the children according to gender and age. And that also has uh, brought the same influence on the hostel section or the boarding section on the school, whereby we, are, we have uh, students from the vocation who are, I would say, old men, as in age, some are the, the above 25, others they are 27, and we can't continue to keep them, mixing them in the same one hostel with those of 14, those of... Uh, uh, eight, so they have been asking us to have a separate hostel for the old boys, which means that uh, those of we who know bushfire very well, we have a land that is just across the, the main gate as you enter bushfire, and that is where we are intending to put the boys' hostel, which can at least house about 200 people. So that is where now our biggest challenge is as far as pushing through the registration of the boarding section is concerned. In the past, our students have been going to other schools whenever they reach seniors, senior four and senior six when they're about to sit their national exams. We've been taking them to other schools because we are lacking what they call a sitting center certificate. So we are pursuing that and uh, we thank God that the O-level uh, registration has come through very successful and we appreciate your prayers now we are pushing on for the registration of senior six so that they also are able to sit at bushfire they have also asked that since our school is a mixed day and boarding they want us to have what they call separators separators are in terms of perimeter walls for the protection of uh, the girl child and the boy child. 
and which we think is very vital for all of us as we know that these children who came when they are still small, they came when they are five years, some came when they are six years, but as they are growing, we need to consider what they call gender protection. Uh, I would call them challenges, but I believe they are pushing us to the positive progress for the whole ministry and the activities that are being given out to the community. So on behalf of Bushfire and on behalf of our family, we say we love you and God bless you indeed. Amen. We love you. So this year in, in Global Vision, we're, uh, we've got a faith promise that, that uh, lots of us within the church are promising by faith to, to put in a, um, what God, what we feel is on our heart is God is leading us to give and, uh, over and beyond our tithe. And uh, so that figure was somewhere a bit over 40,000. And that, most of that goes to just our regular giving of, of supporting of uh, external ministries. Um, so a couple of external ministries, I forgot if people aren't aware of, of all the ones that we support. So there's uh, Mike Albany has uh, just returned to work with, he's just been on three months long service leave after being married. So he's just returned to work uh, just in the last week or two. So, uh, and he's getting involved in a new project there. So, so that's exciting what he's doing and then the chaplains as well. So, so with all the, all the external partners of most of our faith promise is going towards just that regular support. So then throughout the year, we're uh, doing some extra uh, fundraising where there are special needs so that we can give in and bless to others. And so, so with the need for this um, new accommodation for the older boys, now they've done the younger boys and they've got the girls, and now they need this uh, accommodation for the older boys. So we're wanting to give in to that as um, to... Uh, um, at least partly fund, we're looking to raise $5,000 uh, as a special appeal. Uh, so we've got a display up the front. We're going to run the appeal for four weeks. And uh, so if you have a look, we'll have somebody manning the table. But if, if you could, um, you can give online though and we'll, uh, or give through your envelopes or give online and just mark it as um, Bushfire Project or whatever fits in the notation that you've got on the online banking, whether it's an abbreviated form of that. But just to make it clear, if you give to the Faith Promise account uh, the, um, uh, rather than the general account for the, for the church. So, so for all of you who feel, if you feel moved that this is something that you'd like to give to and sow into, that they can continue their ministry to uh, around about 100 kids that they that they provide the home for. They have other kids that they have come in and boarding and, and local kids in the community. So, so, so they've got about 500 people, uh, um, children and staff, that, <laughs> that they're involved in. Uh, so about 100 kids where they're actually providing that loving, nurturing home for them. Uh, so for them to, to continue that... Um, the next four weeks, we'll have the display up, out there and uh, we'll be running that appeal and we'll be seeing the, the uh, uh, incremental <laughs> um, how it's going from week to week with the, uh, with the, as the sand gradually fills up the jar there. So, thank you. Thanks, Rob. Nick, how old are you? Where's Nick? Yeah. How old are you, mate? 22, mate, another three years, you'll be a senior sit. <laughs> 25, a senior sits, you could park in the seniors' parking. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's pray for that project and make sure that you consider what you would give to that, right? Because uh, we want to raise that $5,000 and it is going to be when God releases that through us. But let's just pray for bushfire right now and let's pray for that particular project. Father God, we thank you for our partners in Uganda. I thank you for Eva and Sam and the ministry of that team where many of us have seen it firsthand. And God, we just want to thank you that they have been so committed, that the children that they're working with are being loved and nurtured and, and uh, treated like a family, um, not just as orphans, but as a family. We thank you for that, Father God. And we say, God, would you use us to help supply that extra $5,000? Would you prompt us even now with a heart of generosity that we would give into this, that, Lord, we would be surprised 
that as you release those finances through us to meet that need, that you would raise up heroes in this place to join the heroes in Uganda. We would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to stand up just for a couple of minutes because you had lots of talking and we've got some more coming. Stand up and do a Superman high five to someone next to you because you're all heroes. So, Superman high five. Say, be a hero. Okay, now I'm going to get, uh, you can sit down now. You've had a bit of energy. I'm going to ask uh, Rod Olson and uh, Dave Francis to come up. Rod is uh, um, the church relations person for Compassion here in WA, um, a good friend of the church here. He's been on Sunshine Radio in the past, and uh, we've asked uh, Rod to come and just share not just about compassion, but his heart and the heart that is God's heart, I believe. But before he does that, we're going to ask if he would just do a bit of an interview with Dave so you can know what Dave's up to. And Rod would be a good person to do it because he's also been on push bikes as well. So can I just pray for you? Then you can interview um, Dave and then get on with uh, your message. So Father God, thank you for Rod being here today. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for the heart of compassion. That God, it really is your heart. And as we share today and we hear that, we would be prompted by you. Thanks for Dave and, and this energy and excitement that he's got and his plan to raise finances for those kids in poverty and those kids in need. Thank you for him, Lord. Continue to inspire us with these stories in Jesus' name. Amen. You only need one of those microphones, Dave. That's all right. Have a seat now. I get the opportunity to, to interview Dave, and, and most of you would know him. Most of you were here at the quiz night last night, but for, for those especially who weren't here, um, what is it you're about to do? Uh, in three months from Friday in, uh, Friday at about 9.30 in the morning, we're going to leave Cottesloe, um, and we're going to head all the way to Newcastle uh, over about uh, probably 32 days with a little bit of rest day in between. So you're saying we're, we're going to just we're, we're go there, but how are we actually getting there? Oh, sorry, I forgot that very important point. <laughs> Are you trying to block that yeah. from your mind? I'm trying to forget about the moment. This is a very nice and comfy seat compared to what I was sitting on yesterday, um, which is about a third the size. Um, yes, it's push bikes all the way, unfortunately. So, or I suppose fortunately, because we love it. But yeah. <laughs> so, so why bikes? What what has caused you to say I'm going to ride a bike across the country? I suppose it started probably about six or seven years ago. This crazy man came into my life and he said, I've ridden a, a few times. By the way, he's pretty humble. He's, he's already been across the country about four or five times on his bike and, and he tells me one in each decade of his life, except for the first one, I think. I think yeah, so something like he's that. He's done about four or five <laughs> times. So I saw Rodney, I saw, and I suppose it inspired me. So back then we were doing Albany to Perth. So um, I think I've been on five, should have been on six, but I, I did my Achilles just prior to one, which I'm sure you all know. Um, so, yeah, and, and it was just, um, you know, I suppose, really getting the word out as we have been sponsoring a child um, uh, through Compassion out of wedlock as our first child. So um, about six months prior, we were just engaged and that stuff. So little Sin John back in the day, that's what, he, that's what he used to look like. He's about seven foot tall now. So, um, yeah, so he's an amazing young fella and he's actually been through the whole program. So when Rodney started bringing, um, I suppose, the whole idea of compassion to uh, the church, which is Thornley at back at that stage. I thought, hey, I've got to get on this. I work for Cadbury, so I need to lose some, a bit of weight as well. So it seemed like a really good opportunity to mix two passions at the same time. Does it seem odd to you? Like We hear about people who are wanting to, and I know the theme is, is about transforming lives. What really counts is that lives transformed. Does it seem odd to you in any way that it's not just the the preachers or the missionaries, but it's actually people that can ride a bike that can, can be a part of that. Do you see yourself as someone who's transforming lives through that? I suppose I didn't initially, but I suppose, um, yeah, especially with something like this, um, people say, why is the obvious question, right? Well, why would you? I, I used to question, I, we live in the hills, and as, as Rob and Mike Reed know, who are, are my training buddies, and they've been amazing, um, so I hate hills on bikes <laughs> and I live in the hills, right? So it seems pretty silly. Um, so I suppose from that point, but um, so I'm a sales rep, so a lot of people, I get to talk to a lot of people and, and the conversations 
I've had from riding a bike and they said, Newcastle? Um, it's just been amazing, which obviously then actually sort of gives me a vehicle, a mechanic, um, to be able to talk more about the reason why we're doing it, which is amazing. And the response last night was just absolutely fantastic. But even from my work colleagues, people I meet, and on the street from Albany, a lady two years ago from Narragin, she said, what are you guys doing in that real tight stuff? She was talking Lycra calf, by the way. <laughs> and so, so you know, I suppose it gave us a really awesome opportunity. We've had sort of truck drivers along the way stop us. You know, they weren't honking their horns at us. They were saying, why are you doing this? So, and they'd, and they'd dip out of their hard-earned 20 bucks in the middle of nowhere. So it's pretty cool from that point. I'm a country boy, and this, I've, I've, I've done the nullar ball any number of different ways. So bikes, not one I've done. So that's another, that's another <laughs> e episode, I suppose. So... Now, now, this ride is actually raising funds for highly vulnerable children, and, and Rob was touching on the fact that, that the church has a heart for vulnerable children, and these are the kids in Compassion who are not just being sponsored because they're in extreme poverty, but at even greater risk. I, is there something there that, that really tugs at the heartstrings for you? And I suppose sort of two things. Uh, so I just want to read just a very quick... The last thing from our, our, our first sponsor child, Sin, Sin John, who's about 25 now. Um, and he, this is his last letter. So you get, when you have a sponsor child, they write back to you. Um, at, the, at the beginning, it's a bit interesting because it's their grandparents or whoever's around because they obviously haven't been to school even if they're eight or nine. So that's what gets them in there. But this is what he wrote. And um, it goes, it says, again, thank you so much. I will be keeping you in my heart as we end this, uh, end this relationship. Um, my grandmother was very sad to say that we're leaving the project, but I will also pray that you will find another child to sponsor. So it's, it's I suppose, from that point, it really, really shows the fact that he's sort of, he knows the worth of it. He's been through it. He knows the worth of it. He wants us, and I would, I would encourage other people to do the same. So, and I've forgotten the original question. <laughs> but, uh, but maybe I, I, that, maybe no, that I was speaking that. about, you know, particularly oh, yes. those highly vulnerable yes. children. And, and so I suppose with that, I, I've seen, I'm exposed to, obviously, through the Compassion Network, and I suppose a few things like that stuff. And I've got three kids, but I've got a daughter, okay? And, and as most dads, they're, you know, their daughter is pretty precious to them, right? And I suppose I saw a video of these young daughters and, you know, the exploitation. And um, I'm, not, I'm not normally emotional, but... Um, it, it sort of, I saw my daughter and I went, I wouldn't want that to happen to my daughter. And so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. I think often when, when it comes closer to home, we can start seeing something very different. Um, actually, I was mentioning to you the other day, Dave, that I, I at a church I was at, I, I showed them, you know, the Road Safety Commission ad that's out at the moment? And they say to the guy, you know, 161 people have been killed <coughs> on the roads last year. What's a more acceptable number? And he says 70. And then he says, this is what 70 looks like, and the family walks around the corner. And he says, now, what's a more acceptable number? And he realises it's zero. And there are 385 million children living in extreme poverty in the world. And we just take that for granted. What's a more acceptable number? When we start to think, no, this could be my kids, and, and like that video before said, you know what, it, it could have been us, just by the fact that we were born in this country or in a country that, that allowed us to come here, it's nothing we've done and so we say what's more acceptable and I think you're right when we bring that closer to home. Dave you're going to be available back at the compassion table later to talk to people more about your ride and uh, if, uh, if you want to support Dave in that he'll give you all the details for that but thanks for, for uh, giving us a bit of an indication of, of what you're going to be doing. Just one, just one thing I forgot last night those there were some other helpers I wanted to thank um, there was the sound guys um, these these guys are amazing. This young fella here, just awesome. Um, and also his sister as well, Liesl, as well. But thanks, Ryan, so much. And also Luke Winter up there. And also the Collins kids did an amazing job as well. So I neglected to say that. And Frank Davey for his, his usual enthusiasm as well. With a, bit of, a little bit of embellishment as well, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. But thank you again for your uh, for support. Thank you. Well, now we get to have a bit of a chat, and that's cool. It's great to be here. Thanks for, for the opportunity uh, to, to come here as, as part of this Sunday where you're looking at what can we do? What can we do as we reach out? 
what can we do when, when we, by just a, an accident of birth, get to live in this wonderful country, where other people are living in countries where, just by accident of birth, of, of where they're born, they don't have that opportunity. And I, and I love this theme that you have at the moment of saying, what really counts? What really counts is lives transformed. And the fact is that one of the most amazing things about uh, being a follower of Christ is not only does Jesus want to transform our lives, but He decides to use us to help transform the lives of others. That just consistently boggles my mind. Because I don't know about you, but I know how many times I muck it up. I know how many times I get it wrong. That's like, Jesus, why do you want to use me? I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. But he decides, no, no, I want to work through the people that have decided to follow me. I want to work through those who call themselves Christ followers. And so we are part of the opportunity to transform the lives of others. And I just think that is an incredible privilege that I do not want to let go. So I want to talk about some of that transformation today. Uh, the transforming power of real hope is something that won't just change a person's behavior, but it will change their eternity. And that kind of hope is a hope that is more powerful than poverty. And that's what we're talking about today, a hope that is more powerful than poverty. But the interesting thing is, on, on most compassion material that you see, you'll see that it says that we're releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. We're releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. You'll see it on the bottom of this poster here and on our logo and everything. But if we're to say we're going to release children from poverty, we've got to understand what it is. Already Steve was talking about variety of different kinds of poverty, poverty of friendship, poverty of peace, all these different things. So if I say to you, what is poverty, what would you answer? Because to solve a problem, we first have to understand what the problem is. So when I say poverty to you, what, what comes to mind? And you're allowed to yell in church, that's good. What, what do you reckon? When I say poverty, what are you thinking of? Lack of necessity, absolutely. Anyone else? What comes to mind when I say, there's no wrong answers? Well, maybe there is, but we'll see. <laughs> any, any other things that come to mind when I say poverty, what immediately comes to your mind? So it's lack of necessities, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Food security, somewhere to sleep, a roof over our head, that shelter. These are some of the things that we start to think about. But I wonder, those people who are living in poverty, what they would think poverty is. And it's interesting that a number of years ago, some people decided to find out what is this poverty about for those who are living through it. And so they asked a number of people uh, in various countries, what does poverty actually mean to you? So those answers that, that we've already heard, absolutely correct. Those lack of, lack of necessities, the lack of food security, the lack of shelter, all those things, that is poverty. But what do those in poverty feel it is? And one person says, poverty is like living in jail, living under bondage, waiting to be free. Another person says, poverty is lack of freedom, enslaved by crushing daily burden, by depression and a fear of what the future will bring. Can you imagine living life like that, where constantly you're in fear of, of what the future will bring? constantly afraid of tomorrow and, and what might be around the corner. And we know a little bit of fearing for tomorrow. If we're, we've been studying and we've got an exam coming up, we're a little bit fearful for tomorrow. If there's a difficult situation at work, we might be a little bit fearful about that for the next day. But imagine that your life is marked every moment by a fear because you have no idea and you have no control over what will happen to you. Or this one from a woman in Uganda who says, when one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior, she has no food, so there's famine in her house, no clothing and no progress in her family. And this one always gets me, just breaks my heart. Lack of work worries me. My children were hungry and I told them the rice is cooking until they fell asleep with hunger. Of course, there was no rice. What do you do in a situation like that? And this woman who... I think wraps it up so well, who says, for a poor person, everything's terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame, we are cripples, we're afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We're like garbage that everyone just wants to get rid of. That's what poverty means for those who are living it. It's more than the lack of necessities that we spoke about, but that's, that's what poverty looks like. 
but it actually goes deeper than that and it speaks to a person of who they are. Poverty's lies are deep and when people are trying to, to formulate what does poverty look like, there's been a number of people that have come out with, with different descriptions of it. Uh, one team of people said it's actually a breakdown in four essential relationships. It's a breakdown first and foremost in our relationship with God. It's then a breakdown in relationship with ourselves, how we think about ourselves. And you saw that in, in some of those responses, a breakdown in how we feel about ourselves. I'm worthless. I'm garbage. Everything around me is garbage. Everything around me is broken. So I must be broken and I must be garbage too. That's how they feel. A breakdown in relationship with others. Like that woman said, no one wants us. There's no relationship there, we're just, we're just in the way, people want to get rid of us and a breakdown with the rest of creation, with the things that God has given us to steward, that's what poverty looks like. But have you noticed something interesting there? When we look at that definition of poverty, we start to see something very interesting, we start to see that that describes a lot of people in our own community. There's a breakdown in relationship with God. They don't know who God is and that leads to a breakdown in relationship with self. So whilst in those countries where there is economic poverty, there's this, I am worthless, no one wants me, everyone wants to get rid of me. Here in Australia, it's, I'm entitled. I should be able to do what I want to do. And that's not a correct idea of self either. And that's because there's no connection to God. There's breakdown in relationships with others. We see it all the time. This constant breakdown in relationships, the way that we interact with others and the way that we treat the things that God has given us to steward, the rest of creation. There's poverty right around the corner. We're specifically speaking today about those who are living in economic poverty. But please understand, just as Steve was saying, there's a lot of different kinds of poverty. Someone else said, poverty is a condition characterized by the deprivation of basic human needs the denial of opportunities and the deficiency of internal assets that prevent a person from realizing their basic God-given potential. And I know it's early on a Sunday morning, you can't wrap your head around that all that quickly, so I'll read it once more. Poverty is a condition characterized by the deprivation of basic human needs, the denial of opportunities and the deficiency of internal assets that prevent a person from realizing their basic God-given potential. Well, let's break it down a little bit further. It's essentially a lack of options which results in a lack of hope. That's what we saw in those statements from people living in poverty. That's what poverty says to them. We serve a God who says, you are precious, you are made in my image, this is the person that you are. I see you through the death of my son and you are worthy. And poverty says, you're not worthy, you're not worth anything at all. How can we accept that? You know what, I think that as followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to take on the word unacceptable a little bit more. We need to call things out as unacceptable. The problem with that is we're then responsible to, to act on that. Because if we say those things are unacceptable, if we say poverty is unacceptable, but we refuse to act, we're saying it's unacceptable by our words, but we're saying it's acceptable by our actions. And I'm glad that I'm here in a church where it's very obvious that, that you're a church of action, that you're saying, we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to minister to these people. So this is not a message of condemnation, but this is something where we have to, to look at ourselves once again and say, am I accepting the fact that all these children are in poverty? No, I think it's unacceptable. Therefore, I'm responsible to do something for it. Let's have a look at the scriptures. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. And it said... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, 
you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's such a powerful piece of scripture because it talks about a living hope. And I believe that that's a hope that is more powerful than poverty. You see, when we say from compassion that we're bringing a hope more powerful than poverty, we're not saying that's compassion. We're talking about what Jesus brings us in this living hope. That's the hope that is more powerful than poverty. We are born again to a hope that is absolutely alive. The hope that we as followers of Jesus have is a hope that keeps us alive, it supports us, it motivates us, it drives us forward. It's our motivating force. It's a hope that invigorates us, it spurs us on to action. It causes us to to act in, in ways that we otherwise wouldn't. And of course, it comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It comes with an inheritance. This is what we see in this passage about this living hope. It comes with an inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. That's an amazing hope. When we look at the rest of the world around us, when we look at our own communities, when we look across the globe at those people living in economic poverty, isn't that the kind of hope that they need? Isn't that the kind of hope that that people require, that living hope? The passage says that we're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, there's a destination to this hope. It's going somewhere, it's travelling somewhere. There's a destination to living hope. It's our salvation which we guarantee will be revealed. There's not a lot in life that we can guarantee, but this living hope we can absolutely guarantee. This is what we are brought through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I find it interesting, the passage talks about, this is something in which we rejoice, though for a little while there's going to be trials. So it's saying here that there's going to be trouble along the way. Don't believe the lie that you you accept Jesus and then you have this living hope and everything is sunshine and wonderful after that. That's not the case, there's going to be trials, but in fact, this living hope helps us persevere through those trials. This living hope is the thing that says, you know what, at the moment, things are tough, at the moment, things are not good, but there's a destination to this hope, there's something that is guaranteed for me in the future that, that I'm moving towards only because of the death and resurrection of Christ, I have a living hope. And this kind of living hope works in us despite our surroundings, despite our trials, despite our circumstances. It's something that is guaranteed for us for eternity. It's a living hope. In writing about a a biblical kind of hope, John Piper says, Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen, it's a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has moral certainty to it. When the word says hope in God, it doesn't mean cross your fingers. It means to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. So are we a people that expect great things from God? I think three people here are expecting great things from God. That's good. Are we a people that expect great things from God? Yes, Yes, that's better. That's living hope. We expect great things from God. We don't just sort of wish... Because the world uses hope in a very different way. The world uses hope in a way of, I've got a desire for something to happen and and sometimes it's more likely to happen than others, uh, but it's just a wish. That's what the world understands hope to be. So if I say, I hope this year is better than the last, it might be because last year was a real dog and I can't be guaranteed that this year is better, but that's what I'm hoping for. And really you're saying, that's what I'm wishing for. I've got nothing to base that on, nothing to say that this year is going to be better. In fact, it could be worse. But that's what I'm wishing for because last year was so horrible. If I say, oh, I hope I don't lose my job, maybe it's because I've, I've heard whispers around that the company isn't doing so well. And so when we talk about that kind of hope, it may be because, you know what, I actually expect I might lose my job. And that's a kind of wishing. And, and, and maybe we won't lose the job, maybe we will but we don't know and that's the way that we use hope. There's lots of desires that we express in terms of hope and that's why we've got this idea of hope muddled up. I hope the weather stays nice this afternoon. I hope the West Coast Eagles can win the Premiership. See, there you go. Straight straight away, there's other people with different hopes (laughs) and we're not both going to be right. 
So therefore, in, in fact, I've been hoping that for the last few years and it just hasn't happened. So, and I know the Docker supporters here have been wishing the same thing and it just hasn't happened. We're hoping on something. It's actually just a wish for something to happen that we have no control over. And that's what we use the word hope for. No, no, hope's much better than that. Hope is something we're certain of. And this living hope that is demonstrated in Scripture that only comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the same sort of hope that we should be offering to people in our neighbourhood, that we should be offering to those children in Uganda that we just saw about, that we should be offering to the children through compassion. That's the kind of living hope that despite the circumstances that those children are still living in, will we'll lead them on. I've I've had the opportunity to visit many children in, in compassion programs. And the thing that gets me every time is you go to their homes and, and they're not much of a home, but there's a hope that goes beyond that. And I've taken to asking children in, in the places that I go, what's the best part of being part of compassion? And you've got to understand, these are children that are living in extreme economic poverty. They're drawn from the poorest of the poor in that area. They haven't had health care before. They, they haven't had food security. They haven't had all these things that we take for granted. And so you think they'd pick on that. When I say, what's the best thing? They say, knowing Jesus. Because that's an eternal hope. Everything else is going to pass away. The eternal, the living hope is I know Jesus now. Or they might say, I get to read the Bible. I, I get to go to church and, and worship God. Sometimes we get so caught up in the wonderful gifts that God gives that we start to almost worship them. When actually the prize is not the things that God gives us, the prize is God Himself. And of course we should celebrate what God provides for us. But let's never lose sight of the fact that it's actually God that is the prize. There is a hope which brings an assurance of salvation, an assurance of the very presence of God through Jesus, an assurance of the Holy Spirit working within us. That's the living hope that we should be sharing. A little bit about compassion and the way that we work. I guess there are a few essential things that, that mark compassion out as this is who we are. First of all, we are Christ-centered. We believe that, that every child should have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to have the opportunity to respond to that. We are child-focused. I love that when I go to the field, I, I just see children who are known, loved and protected. We focus individually on each child and we are church-based. We only ever work through the local church in the areas that we work. And that means that there's an ongoing discipleship for those kids. And it also means that when I go to field countries, I don't see a big sign saying compassion. We're not about lifting up the name of compassion. We're about lifting up the name of Jesus Christ because it's Him that brings the living hope. So I see the local church sign and that says to people in that area that it is the Jesus followers, it's those who follow Christ, who call themselves Christians, the local Christian church, who says, we care for your children, we care for the community. A few facts and figures about compassion. We've been going for 66 years now. At the moment, we're assisting around 1.8 million children. In, in the 25 nations where we work, and, and we do that through 7,000 churches at the moment. And I love this. Do you know that today, through Compassion Programs, around 400 children will accept Jesus Christ as Saviour? That they will step into the Kingdom today, around 400 children will say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But one of the things that we hear, and, and of course that's just today, and it's not because it's Sunday, it's because it's any other day, that happens every day. 400 children coming to know Jesus Christ every day. And some people say, oh yeah, but it focuses just on that child, but does it actually help anyone else? The, the, the best research that we can do tells us that for every child that comes to know Jesus Christ through a compassion program, whether it's siblings or parents or others in the community, that there are around four others that also accept Christ. That means around 2,000 people a day are coming into the kingdom, stepping in and saying, I want to follow Jesus, I want to give Him my life. And that is not to lift up the name of compassion, again, that is to lift up the name of Jesus. We want to glorify Him for, for what He is doing, because He's bringing living hope to these children who otherwise would have no hope. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, uh, one of the children that I've met, Chena. Uh, you'll see her on the screen in a moment with uh, her mum, Christita. And she's one of the children that our family sponsors. And I met Chena and Christita uh, a couple of years back when I went to the Philippines and they invited me to go to their home and so 
I, I went to, to their home, and, and when I say home, of course, we have images of what that might look like. For them, it's a room about three metres by three metres. And there's not a lot in there. There's a bunk bed and a few belongings, and that's where nine of their extended family live. But there's a hope there. I had the opportunity to go there and to pray with them. And you know what? When I look at Sheena and, and the other children that we sponsor, I think of my own kids, just as Dave was saying before. And I am absolutely convinced that the most loving thing I've ever done for our two children, for Emily and James, is to put them in a position where they get to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Where they are set up with a living hope for eternity. That's the most loving thing I could ever do for my two children. And I'm so privileged to have at different times baptised both of, of, of our kids and to know that they are serving the Lord. And that's the most loving thing that I could ever provide for them. But I wouldn't be much of a dad if I didn't also put food on the table, if I didn't provide an education, if I didn't provide health care and all those other things that kids need. And that's what we want for Chena. The most loving thing we can do for Chena is to place her somewhere that she gets to know who Jesus is. And she's part of a, a loving church that will lead her on that journey towards salvation. But she also needs health care and, and education and all those things. And that's what we provide. I want you to take a couple of minutes now to go on a bit of a journey with another young girl from the Philippines. I want you to watch a video that will just let you see into the life of, of a child being helped through compassion. We moved to this place after my father lost his job. I live here with my family, my mom and dad, and all my brothers. I am the only daughter. Our home is built over a very dirty river. And when the storms happen, our home floods with water and garbage. This is a scary place when it gets dark. People get drunk and fight all the time. place. I have been sponsored by Arlie and Nancy. I call them mom and dad. Mom and dad. Although we are countries apart, I know they chose me. They tell me, Eunice, we remember you. We love you. You are like our own daughter. Because of my sponsors, I had the opportunity to go to the compassion program at the church in my neighborhood. For all these years, my sponsors and my church have helped me to receive better food and medicine. With the help of my sponsors, I will be able to work to help my own family. When I was nine, my compassion teacher shared Jesus with us, and that's when I accepted Christ. Even though I am poor, He has provided my church. He gave me sponsors who love me. God will never leave us. I want to share everything I have learned with kids who are like me. I want them to feel the joy of having a sponsor, to get a letter that says, I love you, you are special to me. With the help of our sponsors, we can grow up and finish our studies and learn how to live our faith in Jesus. I want to serve the Lord and I won't stop serving Him because He does not stop loving me. There are children around the world waiting. Waiting for a sponsor like you. Release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. Of course, it's all very well in theory, but practically, can we actually end extreme poverty? Or is this a problem that's too big? Is that what is, that what is stopping us from stepping out and making a difference? Can we end it? Will it ever be possible? Do we actually believe that we serve a God that is big enough to end extreme poverty? In 1990, 43% of the population of developing countries lived in extreme poverty. That's 1.9 billion people. By 2000, the proportion was down by, to a third. By 2010, it was 21% or, or 1.2 billion people. So in percentage terms, the global poverty rate had been cut in half in, in 20 years. It's not inevitable that it keeps going that way. We've still got to step up and say we will play our part. But off the back of those figures, 
five years ago in April 2013, the, uh, during the spring meeting of the International Financial Institutions in Washington, D.C., the president of the World Bank scrawled 2030 on a piece of paper and he held it up. And he said, this is it. This is the global target to, to end world poverty. And many economists and experts on global poverty believe that extreme poverty can be wiped out by the year 2030 or even the, the year 2035. But it's not inevitable. There'll still be poverty and there'll still be need for organisations like Compassion and others, but the worst of it can be over if we choose to act. It can be done. God did not create us to live in poverty. If we want transformed lives and to believe what Jesus says about us, to believe that, that he loves us, we want to share that with others as well. We want that to, to go out to the children that we serve. And we need to be the ones who, who herald and proclaim a hope that is more powerful than poverty. And I've wondered about that figure, that, that year of 2030, and I thought, by that time, I'll be looking at retirement. And by that time, I've wondered, maybe I'll have a grandchild or two. My daughter's just been married for over a year, no grandkids on the horizon yet, but by 2030 there might be. And I've wondered about that. And I've thought that, that maybe, at that time, one of those grandkids might climb up in my lap and say, Grandad, is it true that, that children used to die because they, they didn't have enough food and they, they didn't have clothes? I'll say, is it true that they died because of preventable causes? And I'll say, yeah, many millions of them did. And I've also wondered then if, if that grandchild might say to me, but Grandad, you helped those children, didn't you? And if that time comes, I want to be able to say, yeah, I helped as many as I could. And my prayer for you today is that you are able to say that also. That if we do see the end of extreme poverty in the coming decades, that we will all look back and say, we did as much as we could for as many as we could. Because that's what Christ calls us to do. The scripture says we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love even be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let's not merely say that poverty is unacceptable but let's show it by our actions. There is something more powerful than poverty. For a child, it's the love of Jesus, the encouragement of a sponsor, the care of their local church. As followers of Jesus Christ, we cannot be content with simply offering some bread when we can offer bread for tomorrow and the bread of life for eternity, that living hope. We can't only offer water when we can give a cup of water for tomorrow and living water that stretches into eternity. How can we who love Jesus only give hope for tomorrow when there's a living hope, a hope more powerful than poverty, a hope that has certainty for eternity? That's what we need to be offering for the sake of the gospel. Let's share this hope more powerful than poverty with as many children as we can. At the end of the service, you'll see that there are some forms out the back on the table there. Uh, we've got Trent and Gift here, part of the Compassion team, that they volunteered to be here today to help you with these forms. Uh, you'll see on the front of the form, picture of a child, uh, the, the place where they live and their, their birth date, turn them over and on the back a few more details about that child and there's a, a child number that you can text to a number, you'll get a, a uh, text back and you can just follow that link but they'll explain that to you. I'd love you to, to, to go on that journey. For those who are already sponsoring through Compassion, I want to say thank you. You are doing so much for those children that you sponsor, I want to really say thank you. Uh, and for, for those who are supporting children through other organisations, thank you so much for what you're doing, that you are being the hands and feet of Jesus. Thank you for, for doing that. But I would ask you, will you sponsor a child today? Maybe you, you've never sponsored, and today's the opportunity to say, I want to help as many children as I can. Will you do that? Or perhaps you're already sponsoring and you say, you know what, there's room in our family for another. And now I'm speaking to just a very few of you that for a few of you, there's an opportunity to, to sponsor multiple children because you have the means. 
I'm absolutely delighted when I go to some churches and someone comes up and says, oh yeah, we're sponsoring five kids at the moment or we're sponsoring 10 kids. As I say, not everyone can do that. But you might be one of those people. Come and talk to us about doing that and helping every child that you can. Because this is for the sake of the gospel. This is for the sake of sharing that living hope with as many as possible. Thanks for the opportunity to speak today. It's a great challenge, isn't it? Before Dave sings, we're going to get Dave to come straight up, but I think it would be really important that we actually have a place to respond. So we're going to get our helpers. If you feel prompted today to give towards the Bushfire Project, where we're helping um, reduce poverty in bushfire um, and supporting those kids, and all those kids are just like what Dave's saying, um, are coming to know Jesus through that program and you're part of that. Or if you feel prompted to get a compassion child, then you can do that afterwards. But we're going <laughs> to take up the offer. If you need an envelope to do a, a credit card payment or something like that, just put your hand up, and one of our helpers who will grab those things will just run around and give that to you. But as you ponder and as they take up the offering, um, and think about what Dave's, uh, Dave, that Rod's just said, um, listen to this song of Dave's, um, and allow the Spirit of God move on you as we ponder those thoughts and consider how God would use us to become heroes to see kids discover the hope of Jesus.